Well, I, today I get to pick up where we left off. Last week we were in Acts chapter 1, and today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. It's a six-week series. If we go at this rate, it'll be a 26-week series. Uh, <laughs> but you just can't skip the beginning of the book of Acts. You can't skip the beginning. So, um, you know, there was a... How many of you will admit, how many first remember, but then how many will admit that you knew that there was a music group called Second Chapter of Acts? Okay, oh, more than I thought, more than I thought. Uh, you know, they were, uh, they were sort of a big deal back in the 70s and 80s. And um, anyhow, I got, because I was going to be going into the second chapter of Acts, I thought, what about that old band? I wonder, and I wonder what their story was. Why did they call themselves the second chapter of Acts? It seems like a strange name for a band, right? So I went back and I read their story. It was sort of really, it was really cool. And uh, this is how they talk about their band name. They said, um, over the years, the name proved to be both a blessing and an obstacle. Again, this is a Christian music group that travels around and, and, uh, and does music. Uh, the name proved to be a blessing and an obstacle. True, it had a fresh contemporary sound. <laughs> That's funny. Back in the 70s, it had a fresh contemporary sound. <laughs> but it also barred them from singing in some of the largest mainline denominations in America. People were afraid we'd come in and start speaking in tongues or something, laughs Buck. From our viewpoint, being called the second chapter of Acts didn't have anything to do with speaking in tongues or being filled with the Holy Spirit or any other phenomenon commonly perceived as charismatic. Okay, a lot of buzzwords in there. If you don't get them, don't worry about it. But it occurred to us that if you were cast adrift, I assume on a raft or something on the ocean, and you only, and you only had Acts chapter 2, you'd have it all. The prophecy of Jesus coming, the fulfillment of the prophecy, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, the activity of the early church as it began to function, it's all there in one chapter. It's the Reader's Digest version of the Bible. It was never a banner we were waving concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was meant to portray the whole life and ministry of the church, and that's what we felt we were about. So that was the music group, second chapter of Acts. Now, they say an interesting thing in there. They're saying that there are certain churches that wouldn't have us in because they were worried about what we were about. I want to get to my premise quite quickly here this morning. In the greater um, uh, group, the global group all over the world that we call the body of Christ or we call the church or basically followers of Jesus wherever you find them, there has been some division through the years over this very passage in Acts chapter 2. And as your pastor, I realize that you all come from very different backgrounds. This church has been a melting pot for a long time. We didn't all grow up in the same denomination. We're connected to a denomination. We hardly ever talk about it because, well, we love it, but we're... We're a melting pot. We really have been for a long time. And I've actually sort of dreaded this service for months. I've dreaded this moment. Because I didn't know if I'd be up for it. And the Lord showed me again and again this week so many different ways in which that I was not up for it. <laughs> I think that's the point, actually. <laughs> you can't do these things on your own, Steve. Yeah, God has just been messing with me and wrecking me all week long. <laughs> And uh, he hasn't let up even to this very moment. And so, um, 
So Lord, help me. Help me to speak your truth in love. Everything I say today, I I really believe has come out of a a greater and a growing love for the church. I love this church. I mean, this is my, what is it? October 2nd will be the 14th year of serving in this church. I love um, how this church has always strived to walk together. That's been a big thing about this church. Harmony, unity has been massive in this church. Uh, So much so, I remember when I came in 2002 to be the youth pastor here at the church, I was sitting down with uh, one of the elders and they said, you know, we've, we've adjusted our statement of faith a little bit lately. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well... Um, we've come to think a little differently. Of course, you say, what denomination are we a part of? Most people don't know. We're part of the Apostolic Church of Pentecost. So it's a Pentecostal denomination. I'll tell you a quick funny story about that. I had a a student from Briarcrest, probably in my second year, probably about 2003, come and volunteer. Best volunteer by uh, sheer willingness to do everything that I've, I've ever had. For the next seven years, uh, Jen would put in like dozens of hours, volunteer every week for our youth ministry. It was incredible what she, what she did. But two years in, we had a funny moment. Two years in, all the youth staff had finished the youth night, and we said, let's go to McDonald's just to hang out together, spend some time in relationship together. We started chatting, and then... Jen said, is this church that she'd been serving in for two years, is it connected to any sort of denomination? And I said, yes. And I said, we're from the Apostolic Church of Pentecost. And she grabbed the table, white-knuckled, and she said, you mean we're Pentecostal? <laughs> <laughs> now this is a, to me, I just laughed and laughed and laughed. I almost couldn't get my composure back when she said this. Because Jen had been exposed to, she knew all the pastors in our church. She's been exposed to leadership at the highest levels. She'd been in board meetings. She's been, I'm not board meetings, she'd been in staff meetings. She knew all the elders in the church. She had been ministering in our church faithfully, almost putting in more hours than any other single volunteer for two years. Yet when she heard the word Pentecostal, she got freaked out. And I said, this tells us one of two things. Either we're really good at hiding that we're Pentecostal, or we're really bad at being Pentecostal. <laughs> and I'm not sure which one it is. Actually, I don't think it's actually either of those. What had happened in the church, this is before I came in 2002, I was aware of this dynamic, is that people were adding, being added to the church. Actually, there's quite a bit of growth that time, and it was under the leadership of Alan Buchanan, the, the minister I mentioned earlier this morning. And uh, there was a lot of people being added to the church, and it was really uh, a Heinz 57, right? It wasn't people who grew up in the Apostolic Church of Pentecost. It was just everybody, whoever you could think of, people from um, Alliance and Baptist and Anglican and United and Lutheran and, and non-church backgrounds and all sorts of different scenarios, all joining the church together. And at that time, the elders were looking at some of our statement of faith, and one of our statement of faith was very, very Pentecostal. Very, very Pentecostal. I'm going to read Acts chapter 2 in case you're, not, you're worried I'm not going to get to it. Very Pentecostal, and the statement was that the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And before I arrived in 2002, 
they changed those statements because they began to believe that it, would be po- it is possible for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. So I'm just telling you our history, okay? That was already in place 15, 16, 17 years ago. And so when I was looking at Jen freaking out, and maybe this morning you had one of those moments, maybe when I told you that we're actually, <laughs> our roots are Pentecostal, you grabbed the pew, you white knuckled, you thought, oh no, I made a mistake. Here comes the hidden agenda. <laughs> Where have I heard that before? Anyhow, I'll tell you what my agenda is. Two things. Division over the Holy Spirit has split the church in the past, yet when I look at the nature of the Holy Spirit, I see that it ex- the desire of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit is the exact opposite to that. The exact opposite. Right? A few weeks ago, I was preaching out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says that all these manifestations, all the, the gifts of the Spirit, all these things are for the common good. They're not to divide. They're actually to unite. Right? Philippians chapter 2, it says, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, make my joy complete by being of one mind. And being humble and serving one another. That's what Philippians 2 talks about. It's talking about. So I read in the Bible, I read that the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of followers of Jesus is it's a uniting work. It's, a, it's glue that sticks us together. It's an amazing uh, dynamic that makes people who are very, very different from each other, who maybe wouldn't have even chose each other, family. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so when I look at divisions over doctrines of the Holy Spirit, and I look at what the Holy Spirit actually does, I say, Lord, help us, help us to get it right. And in saying that, I'm not saying get our doctrine spliced down to the narrowest shaving. I'm actually saying help us in our following of you to be biblical but united in spirit. Help us to follow you. Let's read Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, you can use your pew Bible, maybe it'll show up here as well. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Let me give you one reason why I believe God used the day of Pentecost. By the way, the day of Pentecost was a thing already. It was a Festival, it was one of the three feasts that Jewish people would come back from all over to Jerusalem for. I think that might have been why Jesus chose this day. It was strategic. There was going to be followers of Jesus from all over the Roman Empire. And we'll read in a few seconds, that's exactly what happened. But the second reason why Jesus himself, who poured out the Holy Spirit, that's what the scriptures say, why he chose this day is it's hugely symbolic. Now, crazy stuff happens in the Bible, like the fact that Jesus' death coincides, timing-wise, right around the Passover. Right? So this is the ancient Jewish feast, hearkening back to Egypt, when, uh, God, where, where the death that was coming, was, the Israelites were spared from the death that was coming, because of the sacrifice of his unblemished lamb and the death passed over them. 
they just celebrated it for every year ever after. The Passover. Crazy, because in that exact same season, in that exact same time when people are celebrating this ancient reality, this new, more powerful reality comes along that Jesus becomes the sinless, spotless lamb. And the spiritual death that's coming for all of us can be averted because of what Jesus did. So the Passover in the Old Testament ties together with this new spiritual Passover that's come through Christ. Pentecost is the same. Pentecost in the Old Testament, it was a celebration of harvest. It might be similar to Thanksgiving if we were ever done combining by Thanksgiving, right? (laughs) May it happen. (laughs) I hope some of you guys who are still in the field, you're done by Thanksgiving. You can sit around the table with your family. Everything's in the bins. Combines are in the sheds. It's all good. Well, this is what it was like. This was this time of harvest, and they were, they were, they were recognizing God's great uh, goodness to them. There was gratitude, and, uh, and it was a time of harvest. Well, this day of Pentecost is a perfect day for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because it's going to lead, it's going to lead to an incredible harvest spiritually. So let's keep going. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because, one, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And then it lists them all. And then it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does it mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So here you have this, this story as it begins. Again, the believers, remember, remember, if you were here last week, you'll remember this, or hopefully you remember it, if the, if the pastor was any good at communicating. Uh, we talked about how in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, wait. Here, I'll just read it to you real quick. It says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few, di- a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8 he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you've got these early followers of Jesus waiting. There's about 120 of them. They're waiting in Jerusalem. They're going to the temple to praise. That's what Luke Luke tells us about that in the book of Luke. And then Luke tells us in the book of Acts, he wrote both of them. Uh, He tells us in the book of Acts that they also were in the upper room praying. Praising in the tabernacle, praying in the upper room. And it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came. So you've got a violent wind. You've got tongues of fire. I'm not sure exactly how they looked. I don't think anyone knows. And then you've got speaking in languages they hadn't learned. So, very interesting. Jesus didn't tell them this was gonna, that all this was going to happen. 
He said you'd be, he said you'd be baptized in fire, but what form that was going to take? What, is that metaphorical? What, what's going to, none of this was sort of, this was a suddenly moment. That's what this, the text said. This is a suddenly moment, right? He said, wait. He did that after 40 days from pa- Passover. Okay, it's 50 days. That's what penta means, 50 Pentecost, right? So in 40 days, Jesus walked with them. Then he, he ascended to heaven. Then they had 10 days, and they didn't know how long it was going to be, so they were just waiting. Could have been 100 days. Could have been 10 years. They didn't know. Could have been two days. They just didn't know. They just knew they were supposed to wait, and so they spent that time praising God in the temple, and, or in ta- and then they also spent their time praying. And as they waited, the day of Pentecost happened to come, and it was that day that this experience happened. A powerful wind, tongues of fire that seemed to separate and come to rest on each of them, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let's talk about tongues. It's funny because the book of Acts, you look at the beginning, it's like, you're going to get power and you'll be able to witness. And then you look at the rest of the book of Acts and that's what they do. They have power and they witness. But you can't read the book of Acts without being totally caught up in like tongues. You can't, be, you can't, you can't, you just, you just can't. When I was a kid, I'd hear pastors preach on this topic out of these passages. And they'd say probably very faithfully that the point of all this is so that you have power to witness. But at the end of the service, I would go up to the front so people could pray for me because I wanted to speak in a different language. I maybe missed the point a little bit. My focus might have been a little bit on the byproduct and not the main product. Because the main product is power to witness. It's power to witness. But I was young and I didn't always catch that. I just thought, wow, this is crazy. This is wild. This is different. Even as you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, this is wild and different. And I'm not sure if I'm, I'm in the game with all of this. That's okay. It's okay. Um, we'll just take it as it goes. So here's where the divide came into, it comes into the church. One, one camp, we'll just say Pentecostals, say that, Every time somebody is baptized in the Holy Spirit or filled in this, with the Spirit, by the way, those two terms seem like they are interchangeable. In fact, baptism in the Holy Spirit is really only used a couple times. Once Paul uses it, um, I think it's in Corinthians, but I'm not totally sure. Paul uses it once, and it seems like he's actually talking about salvation. So it's probably not the same thing. But when Luke uses it, it seems like John the Baptist has coined the term. Jesus reuses it, but he's referencing John the Baptist. So here's John who baptized people in water, and he says, hey, there's one coming after me. He's going to baptize in fire. So after this, after Acts chapter 1, the rest of the book of Acts, you don't hear actually the term baptism of the Holy Spirit, but what the term you do hear is you hear the term filled with the Spirit. So Pentecostals would hold this, hey, this is Pentecostal theology, that if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you'll speak in tongues. And that will be the evidence that you've actually been filled with the Spirit. Right? That's Pentecostal theology. So 
people who aren't Pentecostal, they would, they would hold a, a different viewpoint on that. They say, well, you may or may not speak in tongues, but you may still be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let's look for other things to show up as evidence, like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, stuff like that. Or power to witness, right? So I've been reading this week, and boy, has it been a furious thing. I've been reading uh, people like Bill Bright. I don't know if maybe anyone know who Bill Bright is? Probably. Oh, wow. He wrote The Four Spiritual Laws, which is a, a little handout people used to give. I don't know. Maybe some people still give. It's, it's quite handy, actually. Bill Bright, he talks about this being filled with the Spirit. He is like adamant. This is absolutely essential for every Christian. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Bill Bright is probably one of the most boring communicators I've ever heard. We did, actually, years ago in Nippon, we did a, a small group study in, in our uh, friend's home. And I remember he was explaining how he would take the four spiritual laws and he would talk to somebody. He said, now I'm going to demonstrate how I do it. And after his demonstration was done, you know what happened inside of me? My faith went through the ceiling. Because I thought, if that totally boring guy has led hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ, then anybody can lead people to Christ. You know what he revealed? He said, I've never changed my method. I'm not even creative with people. I use the four spiritual laws every time. I say the same thing every time. I was like aghast. I mean, you're not even like, you know, using different technique or, you know, you're not even like, you know, assessing the situation. No, Bill Bright has done the same boring thing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. But Bill Bright swears by the filling of the Spirit. He swears by it that you need the power of God to witness. So here's a guy. If you look at him, you'd say, how's that guy going to win anyone to Christ? He's monotone. Boring, never changes his approach, doesn't seem to have, like, one note guy, one note that God has used again and 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 again. Why? He attributes it to the filling of the Spirit. Now, he's not a Pentecostal. I read John Piper. I like his blogs, his Desiring God blog. Lots of different authors there that I think, I get real nourishment out of reading his stuff. Not Pentecostals. I shared you some of his thinking last week when I, I shared with you how to get ready, how to wait for the Holy Spirit. Remember what I said? I said, immerse yourself in the word. Then I said, believe the word. Then we talked about pray and fast for, you know, for the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, that being clothed with power from on high. And then I said, obey the nudgings of the Spirit, right? Because what's the point of having the power to do something you're not going to do? Start doing, right? So that's, that's John Piper. Not a Pentecostal. Not a Pentecostal. Adamant. Adamant that there's an experience past salvation. That you don't, the Holy Spirit comes in you at salvation. I just need to say that because some people are under the impression that Pentecostals at least believe that you don't have the Holy Spirit when you're saved. Only something subsequent brings the Holy Spirit. That's not true. Well, if it is true, those are the Pentecostals that are way out there. Okay, you have the Holy Spirit indwells you in salvation, but then there's more. 
And that's not just Pentecostal saying that. That's John Piper. That's Bill Bright. That's most of the evangelical world. There's another camp. They're called cessationists. They don't believe that God speaks today. Um, we're not a cessationist church. Right? One of the main arguments there is that once the canon of Scripture, once we have the Bible, that now we don't need all these spiritual gifts, tongues, prophecy, etc. We don't need those things anymore. Those things all vanish. And that's looking at 1 Corinthians 13, right? Once completion has come, the imperf- or once the perfect is here, then basically the imper- this, all this stuff passes away. And the argument there is, is it about the Bible or is it about the second coming of Jesus, right? Most of the church that I've read on, and again, this is evangelicals and Pentecostals say, that's about the second coming of Jesus. So all these gifts are valid for today, okay? So I'm giving you a quick overview. There are good brothers and sisters out there that are cessationists, and I'll partner with them any day. And we're striving for the same goal, and we want to see people come into the family of God. But that's not where we're at as a church. It's helpful to know. When I, when this role came my way of being the lead pastor here, my, one of my biggest questions was, um, even though 15, 16 years ago we acknowledged the fact that we really were a melting pot and that there was Pentecostals, some who came from very uh, Pentecostal or charismatic backgrounds and some who came from much more conservative or backgrounds uh, and all sorts of different backgrounds, how can I lead all these people together? So that was my question going into coming into this role. And I really just was asking God that question. God, would you lead me to the resources? Would you lead me to the understanding? Would you lead me to the heart and the posture that enables us as a church to go together forward into our future? It was about, so God did a couple things. One, he gave me a connection with a mentoring church. Some of you know that occasionally we'll go down to Steinbach to mentor with Southland Church there because they, they sort of learned some of this. They learned how to have people from Pentecostal, charismatic, and evangelical or liturgical or whatever backgrounds walk together. They figured that out. It's really cool because that's actually what we sort of hope the body of, I think Jesus prayed that the body of Christ would do that. So it's really cool. The second thing was, I was at a spiritual weekend and just praying and seeking God, and God just really just, it was like impressed on me very strongly that the days of these divisions over minor points of doctrine had to be over, had to be over, that we don't even have the luxury, we never did, but we especially don't have the luxury for it now, that it's really important for the body of Christ to be united. That really stirred something in me. I came back to Moose Jaw. I was away for the weekend. I came back to Moose Jaw, and I was suddenly going to other churches' prayer meetings, like with their pastors and stuff. And I was meeting with other pastors and saying, hey, just want to let you know I'm on your team. I'm supporting you. I'm going to stand with you. And I got, I thought, you know what? Time's short. We can't goof around anymore. Can't have infighting or bickering or churches not getting along. I mean, we weren't experiencing much of that in Moose Jaw, to be honest. There was high degrees of harmony, and there is still. But it was like God was almost emphasizing that even more so, that we really need to be in the trenches with each other in order to go forward. And so, again, it emphasized this dynamic. 
So how do we walk together when it comes to this? When, uh, especially when it comes to the tongues is going to be the initial evidence and tongues is maybe part of the picture, but it's not necessarily the initial evidence. How do we walk together? Let me read a little bit more. It says, let's look at the results of this gift that Jesus gives. It says, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Listen carefully to what I say. To what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I think the drunk thing, I often thought, why do they think they're drunk? Why do they think they're drunk? And then I just realized, if I had a, if we were in a church service and an audible, violent wind was heard in here, and then tongues of fire separated and went over everybody's heads, uh, we'd be messed up. Think you could put a sentence together? Think you could? Think you could worship God and it would be intelligible? You'd be a blubbering mess. I'd be a blubbering mess. You'd be on your face. You might not even want to breathe. If you start to praise God, which they did, it's going to come out messy. No wonder they thought they were drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And this is an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Joel. In the last days, and by the way, last days is a phrase that really refers to when Jesus, from Jesus' resurrection onward. Okay, it's... Sounds like it's like, you know, three days long or something. No, no, no. <laughs> it's really this whole age. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Why that's significant is because in the Old Testament, you mainly see that the Holy Spirit comes upon people who are prophets or maybe priests or sometimes kings. But not very rarely do you see that the Holy Spirit comes on significant uh, or, uh, no, no, I'm not going to say insignificant, but regular people. But here, this is a whole do thing. In the, whole, in the last days, I will pour up my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. These are all fueled by the, the Holy Spirit. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Well, this part sounds a little scary. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you've got this dramatic work of the Holy Spirit. You've got this perilous, crazy time. Yet you've got the kingdom advancing like never before. Wild stuff. Hear the promise. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then he goes on to say, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourself know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And it skip down a little bit farther. Verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He's poured out what you now see and hear. 
For da- I'll skip a little farther here. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. This is verse 37. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I mean, when I read this, again, getting messed up. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. This week I went out for lunch with a good friend of mine. Good guy. Doesn't believe in Jesus. Actually, there's probably several layers of obstacles between him and faith in Christ. So I come with a Bible school education, 20 years as a pastor. Yet I feel totally unarmed. Because I need the Holy Spirit. I need this power that Jesus promised. If I go in the confidence of what I know, what I can say, how smooth I can say it, I don't have anything. I mean, God can still honor his word. Sometimes when you share, you know, stuff that's in scripture, still God will use it. It's amazing who he'll use. But at the same time, I need the power of God. And Jesus, Jesus promised this to his people. So before I had lunch with my friend, I came in here, I got on my knees, and I started to plead with God, God, fill me again with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. This is the game changer. I'm in there, I'm talking with him, I realize his resistance, he's realizing what I'm saying, I'm just thinking, God, you gotta do this. You gotta do this. You gotta do this. I might have had some good arguments. I might have had some clever things to say. All I could think of was Bill Bright, monotone, leading people to Christ, right, left, and center because of the power of God. So I just went in there and just thought, it's got to be the power of God. It's got to be the power of God. By the way, you expect preachers to end the story, and he got saved, and here he is this morning. No, that's not how it ended. (laughs) It's not how it ended. But it got real for me. It got real for me. The hunger level inside of me began to grow. Because here's someone I love. I want him to have what I have. Oh, I want him to know what it's like to have a a, a heavenly father that loves him. I want him to know what it's like to be a part of the family of God. I want him to have a hope in heaven. I want him to know that he's an eternal being. Not just a a bundle of chemicals that has a 70-year expiry date for no purpose. Oh, pick a purpose, but it dies with you. 
I want them to know a life different than that. I told him that. I said, I, I'm not here to get something from you. I have something for you. And you might not want to receive it, and it might be hard to believe or whatever. But what's going to break down the obstacles inside of him is the power of God. It's the power of God. It's the power of God. So I read this week story after story after story. People said, uh, I read one guy's story. He said he would spend three hours every day reading the Bible, praying, and telling people about Jesus. Three hours every day. And he didn't see anyone come to faith in Christ. Then he began to cry out to God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God filled him with the Holy Spirit, and he just began to lead people to Christ. We can't do this without the empowerment that the Spirit provides. Whether you come from Pentecostal charismatic roots, by the way, Doug Sickleco, you hear Doug? You hear Doug? Doug was just went down, we sent him down to Brazil. Well, he went on his own, actually. He just goes and tells us where he's going. He, we don't send him. He just doesn't ask for permission. You don't have to ask for permission after you've served in the church so many years. He went down to Brazil for the World Pentecostal Conference as a translator for the president of our denomination. The Pentecostal church is the fastest growing part of the body of Christ and has been for many, many years. In 1980, they were 6% of the body of Christ were Pentecostal. Now it's 25%. They're growing much faster than any other. You want to, I, I've got lots of theories, but I've got one that I think is, is probably you can bank on. They implicitly know at the core of everything they say that we need the power of God or we can't do it. Sometimes they're not the most educated. Sometimes they don't have a... My wife told me this story when we were dating years ago. She had heard a speaker, and he was coming from like... Um, some Soviet bloc country, maybe Poland or Romania at the time. And, and she, he'd come to speak and he said, you know what we do when, we, when people first become Christians? We get them to read the book of Acts 40 times in a row. I was in Bible college at the time, or no, I, was, no, I wasn't in Bible college. I was already in ministry at that point. And I recoiled a little bit. I said, well, you need the whole scripture to interpret the whole of scripture, Right? It's not just the book of Acts you need. I still believe that, by the way. And I believe in Bible colleges and seminaries and learning and writing commentaries and reading them. But I'm not about to go chest to chest with a third world Christian who's leading hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ. Because he just took God at his word. And the, the part of the body of Christ that's growing the fastest that's not Pentecostal has the same thinking. Well, they might not agree on tongues. They don't, actually. But they have the same thinking. I cannot do this without the power of God. I can't see my loved ones. I can't see my neighbors. I can't see my coworkers. I can't see my fellow students, one to Christ, unless God enables me to do it. That's the part of the body of Christ that's growing. That's the part that's expanding. Pentecostal was growing at 8% a couple years ago. I don't know if the, the most recent stats. 8%, that means doubling every nine years. Doubling every nine years. So here, I'm not here to tell you that you need to fall into camp A and that 
Speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Our church has moved away from that dogmatic position years ago. And I'm submitting and lining up with that. In fact, I have no trouble with that, actually. At the same time, I'm not comfortable with us going to a position where we somehow think that because of our education, because of our degrees, because of our greater understanding of Scripture, that we're going to lead a whole bunch of people to the Lord. We're just as needy as we ever were. We're absolutely just as needy for the power of God in our lives as we ever were. I want to show you a quick video. This was from our national conference. So we went to Toronto, heard this speaker. His name's Dave Coop. Uh, Dave, oh, I forget his wife's name. Dave and his wife were taking turns telling story, but Dave is the one who's telling this story. Um, so we'll see if we can get this video up for you. And uh, he's basically, he pastors a really prevailing church in, in Vancouver called Coast Church. So you can Google it if you want. And uh, not right now. Anyhow, uh, Coast Church is right in the skyscrapers of Vancouver. It's like skyscraper, skyscraper, Coast Church, right in the middle. Smack dab in downtown Vancouver. A sort of hard nut to crack for a lot of churches. They're thriving, they're growing. Uh, but at one point, Dave's going to tell you where he started. And he's going to tell you how the filling of the Spirit, how it changed things for him. And that's all dependent on technology. <laughs> Good? Yeah. Love it. Remember one day, we hadn't seen each other for a long time, met each other on 8th Avenue Mall, and I said to Lan, how are you doing? And we, we shared a few thoughts, and he said, let's go for lunch tomorrow. And so we're riding up the escalator. I was working for Home Oil, Devonian Gardens. And on the way up, uh, Len turned around to me and said, uh, Dave, you know Jesus, don't you? And I thought, Len, we're, there could be a secretary. There could be anybody around. We don't talk about Jesus in public. And uh, I, was, uh, I was an undercover Christian at the time. And, uh, you know, I just, we were really struggling, Cheryl and I, actually, at that time with our with our faith, we were really under conviction because we had led one person to Christ between the two of us in our years as believers. And that person was a relative who begged us to pray for them. So I don't know if that even counts. <laughs> but we, we were under conviction to, to, uh, to win people to Christ. And uh, we sat down. And the first thing I remember Len doing, we, had, we went to the and uh, got some soup and some sandwiches and he said let's pray and i was so shocked that len wanted to pray because len had changed he had an encounter with christ and the holy spirit and from there a dialogue began and he gave us scriptures he told me his testimony about being baptized in the holy spirit and i thought well you know on our background we had i'd been to bible school so i something about that my dad was a pastor but he was also a farmer rural farmer small church but Len really challenged us. He said, go back and read these scriptures. And uh, so he gave us scriptures out of the book of Acts and out of the book of Luke. And we just went back for, for three months. We studied these scriptures. You had gone to a more surreal conference in between and came back. And we met at their apartment. And uh, that was a turning point for our lives. Because in that apartment there, we were wonderfully baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
and uh, we've never been the same since. So we, we tell that story of what Len Ingrid did for us everywhere we go. They were, we wouldn't be where we are today if we didn't receive the power to uh, lead people to Christ. And uh, the next day, you led a co-worker in the bathroom to the Lord at Gain Petroleum. And uh, the following day, I went and visited Jason Yeon. We had gone to school together, studied geology together, and he knelt down in his room and accepted Christ, and our lives are forever changed because that's what the power of the Holy Spirit's for, is to be a witness to, and uh, it, it changed our lives. And so, so started the journey. So, okay, really good. exciting to... You hear that? That's what the power of, of God is for, right? That's what the, what's that empowering power is for, is to see people come to Christ. I asked my wife, we were driving up to the church. She was driving me to church early this morning. I was lamenting in the passenger seat that I had to talk to you about this. I said, what am I going to do? I don't know how to do an altar call for Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals at the same time. They didn't teach me that in Bible school. She said, in Marnie's wisdom, maybe some people who, you know, they're more charismatic Pentecostal, maybe they want to come forward and have someone lay hands on them and pray for them. And maybe people who aren't uh, from that background, they're more evangelical background, maybe they just want to come and seek the Lord uh, for the filling of the Spirit. So yeah. How come you're not leading this church? <laughs> That's how we're going to end. I'm going to invite you to stand. Worship team, prayer teams, elders, if you're ready to uh, jump into the game as well. We're going to leave this side. Let's just say over here, this side, we'll just leave that for if you say, hey, I, I want someone to pray for me, physically pray for me, lay hands on me. Uh, yeah, that's great. You see lots of that in the book of Acts, the laying hand, on of hands. So that's cool. So we'll just if you're, if you're wanting to do that, We'll do that on this side, okay? And on this side, if you're saying, hey, I just want to take some time to seek the Lord for my, myself, because this is what I said, what I realized when I was reading all these stories from Pentecostals and, and non-Pentecostals, was, it was like, these guys would say, these are the steps. These guys would say, these are the steps. They were different steps. I was freaking out. How am I going to talk to Hillcrest about this? Crazy thing happened, though. God filled these people with the Holy Spirit, and then they testified that God allowed them to, they experienced their power and witness. And God filled these people with the Holy Spirit, and they experienced God's power as a witness. And I thought, wow, God, you are bigger than our steps. You are bigger than our steps. So this morning, you may have, this may be brand new. You might even call it a baptism in the Holy Spirit because it seems like that's the only time they really used that phrase was talking about that first bam in Acts 2. Well then, come, be filled with for, for the first time. Or maybe you just say, man, I am not a harvesting machine right now. The blades on this combine have gotten a lot rusty over the years. You might even remember a time where you were in that game and it just seemed like the Lord was empowering you to do that. You just say, whoa, I totally need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. Then come. And whether you want to seek him on your own or whether you want someone, another brother or sister to lay their hands on you and pray for you. We need the power of God. We need the power of God 
or we won't be able to do the mission of God. And he's the giver. We don't conjure him up. We're not Aladdin and he's the genie. He's God. He tells us to wait and then he gives the gifts suddenly. We can't pry it out of his hands. He gives it in his own timing. All we're called to do is ask, is come, ready to receive. You can come as I pray, but let me just pray. Lord, fill us. Fill us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Refill us, Lord Jesus. We need, uh, you've called us to do some things here in Moose Jaw and this area, and some of these people might be visiting this morning. They're called to do things in other areas around the world. But you've called us to take your gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. can't do that in our own wisdom. We can't do that in our own intellect. Not that you won't use those things, but it's the power of God. We need the power of God. We need to be filled, completely caught up in you. We need to be full of the joy that you bring. We need to have the power over sin that you provide. We need to have the power to witness, to speak about our relationship with Christ. And Lord, for the walls of barriers in other people's lives to come tumbling down as we declare the truth about who you are. We need it. We need it. We need it. Just invite you to come. Just come. If If you're eager to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit, we invite you to come this morning. Or the refilling.